You're listening to the Artistic Finance Podcast, Show 59. On today's show, I interview stage designer David Jacques. We talk about diversification within your financial portfolio and how David's is conservative as he nears retirement. We also discuss real estate within a portfolio and holding individual stocks, including a costly mistake David made during the pandemic. We also discuss purchases that don't make financial sense, but take advantage of the limited time we have on the planet. Without further ado, let's get to the interview. You're listening to Artistic Finance Podcast, where your host, Ethan Steimel, interviews successful artists, leaders, and investors to help educate and inspire artists to grow their wealth. Welcome, everyone, and a special welcome to my patrons. I'm your host, Ethan Steimel, and today I welcome David Jacques to the podcast. It's good to be here. I'm barely awake. It's uh, 8 o'clock in the morning in Los Angeles. <laughs> and it's, I, I normally get up really early, actually, but uh, you know, usually around 5 or 6, because my dog is always hungry at that time. But yeah, I'm awake. I'm, I'm, I'm about ready to talk about money. Let's talk about some money. <laughs> Before we do that, I, j I just want to mention that we're recording this on April 20th, 2021. So we're amidst the COVID-19 pandemic. We're amidst the Black Lives Matter slow burn across the world. And in the United States, there's an ongoing Stop Asian Hate campaign. So, David, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, I, you know, I'm, I'm a stage designer. I'm an educator. I'm a musician. I'm a composer. Uh, for people who... Um, Listen to my podcast. You probably know all that already. Light talk, light talk, just in case anybody doesn't know. Oh, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I, I have this crazy podcast with my partners and uh, Steve and Stan, who have already been on this show, by the That's way. That's right. I finally now have all three. Well, yeah, those two guys know how to deal with money. I'm like the person you do not want to listen to about money. So I, I got to give you a disclaimer. I'm going to tell you a lot of things today, but I'm not taking any responsibility for it. Seek a qualified, licensed financial planner before you take any of my advice. So anyway, so yeah, that being said, yeah, I'm an I'm a educator, a designer. I've been designing for over 40 years. I've uh, worked for Disney. I've worked uh, mostly in opera and musicals. I do large-scale operas and musical, and I do scenery and lighting and projections. I started out uh, strictly as a lighting designer, but then when I went to SMU as a student, it's more of a sonography program. And also I had Bill and Jean Eckhart there teaching, so I'd say it'd be stupid for me not to take scenic and costume design with like two brilliant Broadway designers here. So I learned how to do that too. And now a lot, a lot of the stuff I do is uh, I do uh, scenery and lighting and projections. Also, I started out as a musician and a composer. You know, my first job actually was playing in strip clubs at 15 years old back in 1970. And I made, believe it or not, I made $25 a night. Now, understand in 1970, gas cost 29 cents a gallon. The frightening thing is that, you know, I, I played all these years. Uh, I still play in clubs, uh, usually jazz, blues or whatever big band stuff. I'm still making $25 a night. So I'm thinking to myself, I made more money playing 
you know, in strip clubs in 1970 that I play, that I make now. And so you really can't think of, you know, it's so like any art, you know, you're not going to get paid a lot of money unless you get into opera and musicals like I did, or Broadway, obviously, or commercial things, and you know, industrials, that sort of thing. If you want to be an artist, you got to live realize that people are going to try to take advantage of you so there you yep. go and, the, and they will sometimes they get away with it and you get mad at yourself for letting that happen because you know we, we we love the show but we don't love the business you know we're very creative beings and we you know really like to just focus all our energy on um, being creative and uh and not worrying about contracts and things like that uh, but i did i always did i always worried about that because my dad you know he was a depression baby and he wasn't a baby. He was actually a young man, a young a teenager during the Depression. He lived through some horrible times. And he knew a lot of people whose lives were destroyed. So he actually uh, instilled in me a very conservative sort of investment type of strategy, which I haven't followed all the time. We'll get into that probably a little later. It was always about safety and security. And this is something that as artists, we sometimes forget about. We forget about retirement. We don't realize that there's going to be a time when we're going to all stop working and uh, we could keep creating uh, you know, we could paint and we could do stuff like that, but we're not going to be making money off of it. So uh, it's really important that, uh, you know, you know, we, we find these outlets. And I try to tell my students that it's really important to understand contracts and all that other stuff and, and to make sure that you've got some sort of financial plan to take care of yourself when you're old and gray like me. Or in my case, old and bald. <laughs> so, Speaking of old and bald, yeah, could you describe your demographics for us? I'm 65. I'm uh, divorced, but with a great relationship with my ex. I'm a white male, Jewish, not practicing. Once I got bar mitzvah, my parents said, hey, once you get bar mitzvah, you can do whatever you want. I said, great. <laughs> Where's my car? <laughs> Gas is only 29 cents. Give me a car, for God's sake. <laughs> All right. Now your creative personality. What is a live event that you like to experience as an audience member? Oh, my God. I love concerts. Don't get me wrong. I do love theater, but I like to move. And it's, you know, it's tough to stand up in the middle of a show and start screaming. I can never sit on the inside of a row of seats because I'm always afraid I'm going to just jump up in the middle of the show and start screaming. So I always have to have an aisle seat. Which is really interesting because, you know, when I design a show, I'm right in the middle, but there's nobody around. But when the theater's packed, it's really tough. But yeah, I, I love concerts. I, I was fortunate because, you know, growing up in the 70s, I got to see like, you know, huge acts like Led Zeppelin and, you know, Janis Joplin and, and just huge acts. And, I, and, and they were cheap. It was like $4 a ticket. You know, every Friday and Saturday night, I went to a concert when I wasn't playing in clubs. Yeah. All right. Your financial personality are you good or bad with money? Well, I've been successful and I've been unsuccessful. <laughs> if you hear a strange noise in the background, it's my dog. She's like, she needs attention. You know, I, I consider myself uh, secure and happy. You know, I did not follow my father's advice to the T, but I, I did enough of it so that I didn't squander it away. Uh, so, yeah, I guess I'm good. I'm good. I'm secure. I'm happy. I buy whatever I want and I don't worry about it. 
I like doing things myself, but you know, I, I also like enjoying my like I I spent like a ridiculous amount of money on a car. I never thought I'd do something that stupid. I it, that that car has brought me so much joy. I, I can't even explain to you it's how much joy it's brought me. And it's definitely a car that I'll keep for the rest of my life, which may not last that long. Wait, your life or the car? Well, my life, probably. <laughs> uh, I'll probably die. Well, the battery could completely crap out in five years, so we never know. But you buy a new battery. It's a Tesla Model S. But it's a great car. It's a big car. I can put my dog in the back. She has like a giant living room in the back of my car. I mean, it's like unbelievably huge, uh, the hatchback area. So anyway, so yeah, so I, I went ahead and I bought something like, and I'm a very, I'm a very sort of impulsive person. Uh, so <laughs> I didn't even look at the payments because the payments are ridiculous. It was even more ridiculous was the insurance. I didn't even check about how much the insurance is going to cost me. And then I found out. <laughs> you found out after you had agreed to buy the car. <laughs> after I bought the car, I said, I, I got get this thing insured. And my insurance agent called me and she said, oh, yeah, well, your insurance is going from... Uh, I don't know, $500 a year to like $2,000 a year. So, whoa! But I found, actually, I found, you know, through Costco. Ah, here's a little bit of advice, financial advice. Buy car insurance through Costco because my car insurance was cut in half through their insurance company. So, check it out. Now, on to our topic for the day, which is diversification. Before we actually talk about it, I want you to tell us what your retirement plan is, because I feel like that's what we're going to be talking diversification within. Okay, well, I have actually, I've actually prepared. Whoa! <laughs> <laughs> First of all, let me tell you something, uh, because this has to do with, the, with retirement and diversity. One thing, my, my dad was a cop. He was a New York police officer. And, and my mom was a cop, too, which was really funny, too. <laughs> Both my parents are police officers at one time or another. But when my dad was a police officer, and it's still the case, the New York Police Department has this terrific pension plan. He basically was a mounted cop, you know, on a horse. And he patrolled, you know, down in Manhattan. And one day the horse slipped on ice and fell on my dad and it broke his back. So he had to retire. But the great thing was, is that he had a pension. That was a pension for life. There aren't many pensions left out there, so I may have to explain to your listeners what a pension is. <laughs> you put in a certain amount of money, and depending on, and it's a, it's a small amount, but your employer actually pays the majority of it on a monthly basis. And depending on how many years you work, uh, sort of like Social Security, the, the amount of money you receive on a monthly pension goes up, 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 up. He uh, was able to, uh, even though he continued work, he sold real estate and stuff like that, he was collecting on his pension. And uh, that was a guaranteed income for the rest of his life. Usually unionized uh, organizations have pensions. Not all of them, but some of them do. And, uh, and it's a great thing because uh, it gives you guaranteed money along with your social security or anything else you have. So he always would tell me, Get a job where there's a pension. I said, Dad, nobody has pensions anymore. I was also a designer and a musician. He said, Ah, you, you know, how are you going to take care of yourself? How are you going to take care of yourself when you retire? You're making $25 a night in a strip club. What are you going to do with your life? You know, halfway through my life, I started to teach. And it, was, it wasn't something that I really 
said, you know, from the very beginning, I want to be a teacher. Somebody actually recommended me to do this temporary job at, at University of Missouri, Kansas City, suggested that I would be a good teacher. And I don't know why they suggested that. And uh, <laughs> But to this day, I thank them because they call me and they said, hey, you know, do you want to do this uh, one year thing? And I said, sure. And I fell in love with it. I, I just love teaching. And, uh, and then that was my, my second career. I was uh, a, a designer and a teacher. And, you know, they had like a 403B plan, which is a totally different thing. But it's great. It's, a, you know, most of these universities have some sort of retirement plan. After I went there, I went to SMU, who had a great plan, by the way. And then I went from SMU to, uh, to here, which is Cal State Long Beach, as part of the California state uh, system. And they had a pension. You know, they have 403B and a pension. And I realized that if I stayed here for like 20 years, I would make almost my full salary in retirement if I was the only dependent. The thing is, if I got married and I had a kid, I could name my kid as a dependent. And after I died, my kid would have that pension for the rest of his or her life. So it's really that. And it's, 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 a, it's, it's through a company called CalPERS. C-A-L-P-E-R-S, which happens to be one of the largest investment organizations, definitely in the US, U.S. stock exchange, CalPERS has, because they not only deal with teachers, they deal with firefighters and police officers, things like that. So it's a, an amazing, huge pension program. I was fortunate that I actually fell into that job, and I told my dad when I got the job, and guess what? I got a pension. He was very happy because he thought I'd never have a pension. He says, yeah, but, you know, you should really check into that management training at Macy's. You know, I hear that the old Seinfeld thing. I said, Dad, I'm a teacher, you know. Dad, I'm a tenured teacher. <laughs> I'm a tenured teacher. <laughs> I'm okay. I'm going to be fine. Don't worry about me. But anyway, so the pension. I also have a 403B. So, uh, and that 403B is invested in the stock market. Partially now, I mean, and this is one of the points I'm sure that a lot of your guests make is that you always have to reevaluate your investments as you grow older. Uh, when I first started, I did like a mix of 50% stocks or mutual funds. I'm not really good at picking individual stocks, which we can get into later, <laughs> but I, I like mutual funds. And, uh, and usually I do like a S&P 500 uh, mutual fund and a NASDAQ fund. I like um, investing in new technology. And I found a fund early on in my investment life called Contra, Fidelity Contra. And I think Contra has been closed to new investors for some time. That actually has done very well for me. And I, I, to this day, I have a lot of Contra. So you said Contra is closed to new investors. Does that mean you had to, there was a certain level you were buying in at these mutual funds? Yeah, I had Contra when I first started. And that was way back in the 80s, I believe it was. But that's when I started Contra. And because I was already an investor, in Contra, I had some stock. I could buy Contra in any any sort of uh, uh, account that I had. I can add the Contra to this day, and I can you know buy you know uh, five hundred dollars of it, you know, and which I did yesterday. <laughs> Whenever the market goes down, by the way, I always buy. That's when I buy. The days the market dumps a hundred points, I buy five hundred dollars or something. You know, uh, I'm not really big into foreign stocks. 
and I have no reason. I, I just did not want to do the research. I guess I was lazy. So I, I did S&P 500, which is very easy. Uh, <laughs> tracks the S&P. So wait, so you have the pension, but you're not collecting the pension until you retire, right? We have a special deal at Cal State Long Beach, which makes this even better. You can set a retirement date and then five years before that date, you can go ahead and start collecting your pension. At the same time, you're collecting your salary. Technically, I'm retired and I'm working as a professor emeritus half time. So I only teach in the falls and I get my full salary for that for the fall semester. Plus, I get my pension. So you get your pension, which you have no say in what it's invested in. It just gives you right. money. Right. And then so then when you're talking about you have S&P and NASDAQ, is that in a brokerage account? Is that in a 403B? Yes, or? yes. It's in 403Bs. It's in IRAs, uh, you know, through the through the brokerage account. And I've always been with Fidelity. And I'm not saying Fidelity is the best. I'm sure there are other Schwab's probably great and a bunch of others. I just always felt comfortable with them. And when one of the uh, pieces of advice I was want to give to your listeners, take advantage of these companies. They will give you free financial advice. I mean, they'll meet with you and you can, you know, with a real actual person and they, they will ask you, you know, questions and then they will give you some advice and it's all for free. And I've always had good luck with Fidelity, but I'm not saying go to Fidelity. <laughs> there are others that are just as good. So, uh, and then also diversification. I did something uh, and something I always believed in because my dad sold real estate in his later years, and that is to invest in real estate. And I've always bought homes. And I bought a home in Miami, one in Orlando. I bought a home in Dallas. And I bought a home here. Now, I've sold those homes, but they've always appreciated. They appreciated greatly. The home I bought out here, and again, I live in California, and I live like 100 feet from the beach. So it's a pretty high area. And I always wanted to live in this one neighborhood called Belmont Shores, which is a, kind of a cool neighborhood. A lot, of, a lot of young people here. It's extremely diverse. As a matter of fact, uh, Long Beach is probably one of the most diverse cities in the United States. And it's close to the university, so I can actually walk to the university or ride my bike or, or drive. <laughs> I, I decided I wanted to buy out here, and I saved up all my money for the down payment. And I spent more money than I ever thought I'd ever spend on a house. And it was in 2001. My house cost $450,000 in 2001. That's a small house. It's a small beach house. It's uh, like 1,500 square feet. The lots are very small. Typical California beach house. Uh, beach beach community, and uh, my house is now worth about one point four million dollars, and and it's paid off. I finally I paid it off this year, this past year. Nice, congratulations. Thank you, thank you. So <laughs> that mortgage, which I had of course refinanced because as, as the interest rates went down, you refinance. So this house is actually a big part of my net worth, and uh, and gives me a lot of freedom as well. So real estate's great, but you know there's a, that that's a whole nother discussion because. I don't know if I would recommend buying real estate right now. I think that uh, the, the homes are really super inflated because the interest rates are low, which is great, but um, everybody's jacking up their prices. Because I was thinking about buying a house up the coast in a little town called Cambria. Everything went up like 20% in a matter of a month at the beginning of this year. So I don't know. I'm I I I just decided that, you know I'm going to keep my house and just rent places. Just you know, if I want to live someplace for three months, I'll just rent a place for three months. I'm on board with it. I mean, 
You could also sell. I don't know how long you're going to live, but <laughs> I, I, you know, maybe twenty more years, thirty more years. But potentially, you could sell and use that money to rent places. You know, for thirty years between my pension and and then I still I'm still working. I'm still doing gigs, and uh, my gigs, you know, pay pretty well. You know, once once they start again. <laughs> You know, like everyone else, you know, all my gigs were canceled or postponed, but I still have one coming up in uh, Colorado. I do Central City every year, and hopefully that's going to continue, but it looks like it is. And then, you know, and I do a couple shows in Italy next year. So, you know, that's, and also one next year in um, Scandinavia. I'm doing a, a big world premiere in Scandinavia. So, you know, I mean, you know, that with, you know, with my teaching, which I'll do for another four years, I've, you know, I've only just started this new re- early retirement thing. So I'm, I'm in good shape. I'm, I'm, I'm okay. You have the home, which is paid off. You have the pension starting to filter in. So then all your brokerage and retirement accounts. So are you basically just in the S&P 500 and then that fund that I forgot, the Canva fund, Contra? Contra. Yeah. Uh, right now, I'm invested about 20% mutual funds, 30% bonds, and the rest is cash and liquid. And it's because, again, as um, you're in age changes, you want to be a, lot, a little more secure. You know, if CD rates were decent, I'd be in CDs. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, that's just the w- the way you g- got to do it. And uh, uh, and actually, I am in some CDs, but I'm also in some high paying money market funds through Fidelity. If, if you have a certain amount of money in Fidelity, it allows you to go to a little higher rate. It's not great. Don't get me wrong. It's not like you're getting two percent. You know, you're getting. I think I'm getting like. 0.4 instead of 0.2. You know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I needed some liquidity because I'm thinking about uh, remodeling my house, actually, to tell you the truth. So I, I need a couple hundred to do that. Oh, I, for, I forgot your age. Are, can you pull out of your retirement? 65. 65. So you can pull out of your retirement accounts now. Oh, yeah, if I wanted to. I, I don't have to yet. But um, yeah, I could. But then you're taxed on them, you know, because I only have a certain amount in Roth, Iris. Most of my stuff was in, you know, taxable. They weren't tax deferred when I put into them, but now they're taxable. Okay, so so looking at your analysis, so you're half in cash, so that's like a steady amount of money. Like that right. that amount of money can't go down except for however inflation works, that slow right. treadmill. And then your thirty percent bonds, that's incrementally growing in theory. That's mm-hmm. also very stable. And then mutual funds are fairly stable. They sort of match the market, but hopefully outperform it. A little bit. I would say it's a very, it's a very stable portfolio. It's conservative. It's a conservative for- portfolio. But again, this is sort of the financial advice I received from my um, advisor at Fidelity, and uh, we, you know, I started, I started with this guy about fifteen years ago, and um, you know, and it, and it was totally different fifteen years ago. I was much more heavily invested in uh, mutual funds and, and very little cash. It was bonds, funds, and cash, but very little cash. Now it's you know a lot of cash and twenty uh, percent stocks and or funds and um, and thirty percent bonds. Okay, here's a question that I think I'd never asked, so I just want to make sure we say it. What is diversification? <laughs> <laughs> Well, what is diversity? It's a lot of people, interesting people of different colors and genders and persuasions and, you know, and languages and countries and cultures. That's diversity. And it's the same thing with uh, with, with money. 
you know, it's real estate, it's uh, REITs, which are what, real estate investment trusts. Right? There's mutual funds, there's cash, there's gold. <laughs> Bitcoin uh, now. And then there, there, then there was Bitcoin too, right? <laughs> but, but why, but, and what is the purpose of diversification? So you're protected. So you're protected. You're, you're spreading out your risk. And I think that's always a good thing because let me tell you something. I learned there's one thing that I really learned in invest in my investment life, and that is, I sh am not made out for individual stocks, right? I you know if I buy an individual stock, I'm constantly looking at it. I'm constantly worried when it drops, and I do something stupid. I'm impulsive, right? I know that about myself. So some of my biggest mistakes in, in my financial life were investing in, in individual stocks and then I panic and I get out and then it goes up. I think it was last year. Yeah, it's so hard. I, I, I try to wipe 2020 out of my mind. Such a horrible year for everybody. But I invested in some a little company called Tesla. At the time, Tesla was selling for about, I think it was $380, $380. I bought a bunch of it. And then, <laughs> and then um, Elon Musk, Decides to smoke pot on a radio show, <laughs> on a podcast, or TV, right? And then started to screw around with the with the FEC, and then you know, and I and it, the stock starts plummeting. One bit of advice I always believed in, you know, people who always told me is that buy stock in companies you believe in, and something they make a product that you love and you believe in that company, and it went down to three hundred and ten, I think it was. And I, and I panicked and I sold, right? So I lost, you know, a significant amount of money. Uh, Tesla today has split, I believe. And I think it's selling for like... 720. Thank you so much. 720 after the split or something like that. Or maybe it has a split. But still, 720. I bought it at 380. <laughs> I would have, that's, that's double. I would have doubled my money, right? Had I waited... Yep. Had I just yep. sat there, you know, but I'm just not, I just not good. So people who have that type of personality like mine, you do not want to buy individual stocks. You want to buy mutual funds and let professionals invest in individual stocks in those funds. That's the thing. Now, on the other side, many years ago, like 30 years ago, I bought a little upcoming company in Austin called Dell, D-E-L-L. -L. They make computers <laughs> and I did very well on Dell. Dell only went up. Had Dell started to crash, I probably would have sold that too. So yeah, that's my advice. Okay, that's really good because what you said earlier, which is like call Fidelity and they'll talk to you for free. And then you could call Schwab and talk to them for free. And chances are they're probably going to say roughly the same thing. Right. But yeah, you can go, you can talk to people and get their advice. But what they will say to you is you don't want to have any individual stocks. Yep. Part of that is because people are tempted to go in and out of them because that's easy to do. Right. The other thing is they're more volatile. Yep. Financial advisors will always say you want to be diversified. You want to do mutual funds, ETFs, because, yes, they sync with the market. They go up with the market, but not nearly as much as an individual stock will. The S&P is not going to go from 380 to 310 like Tesla did. Right. Yeah, it'll go down from 380 to 360 maybe in a really bad moment but that's not nearly as bad as going down you know 30 percent. it's totally irrational what i did was totally irrational you think i would have learned my lesson but no I, I don't have any individual stocks anymore you keep saying mutual funds so the thing nowadays is etfs 
are you is is that interchangeable with ETF or are you saying mutual fund versus ETF? No, I'm not saying versus. I have some ETFs as well because ETFs are kind of sector sort of things. I guess you know when it comes down to it, they're the same thing. Yeah, well, yeah. The only difference is in theory that mutual funds are managed, so people are rebalancing all the time. Right. And ETFs are just passive, so they just buy the S and P 500, and then maybe every year they'll rebalance a little bit to get to their percentages, but. Mostly it's set and forget. No one's actively managing it. That's the great thing about mutual funds, especially the S&P type of index funds, is that their cost is low. And when we talk about cost is that there's a management fee that's usually a half a percent or a percent that goes to management of the funds. You're paying that because they're actively managing those. So they're, they're doing work. That's right. And there's an office and accountants and all that, and they have to pay all those people to work. So that's what you're paying the fee for. And the fee is low. But when you take a 1% fee and then compare that mutual fund to an ETF that has a 0.1% fee, over time, that can save you a lot of money. Right. Yeah, you're saving a lot of money. And and so the general zeitgeist of the last, let's say, 20 years has been ETFs are better because of the low-cost fees and their performance compared to mutual funds. But there is an argument for mutual funds, which is when things crash and things go down, they won't necessarily go as far down. So there, there is an argument for either or. Well, you know, I kind of like to have somebody watching because, you know, still when that when the pandemic happened and everything dumped, I mean, you know, I was scared. I was, I was, the, <laughs> I was scared. And I actually did liquefy a lot of my stuff then. And, uh, and then I put money back in. So it's, it's a weird thing. It's, uh, I, I, it's nice to know that I was still protected in a lot of ways. But yeah, my, my overall value went down about 20%. You know, I mean, and I'm close to retirement age. So I, I got a little worried, you know, because I have plans and things like that that I really needed the money for. So anyway, it's uh, I, I felt good with the, with the way my mutual funds survived that. They actually did pretty well. The point of diversification is a risk management thing. So that absolutely, in theory, if one sector goes down, like if the S&P 500 goes down, well, you have cash, which didn't go down at all, or you have bonds, which didn't go down at all. And then there's another argument for it that says it also helps you grow faster or higher. Like if you if you look up an article on diversification, like what is it? It says, oh, well, it's to protect your downside. And it also makes for growing your upside. That's not how I see it. I see it more as a defensive measure. Because in theory, if you just went all in on Tesla (laughs) and no other stock or anything and you didn't diversify at all, you would have way more money than somebody that has mutual funds or ETFs. Yeah, absolutely. But it would be a wild ride. But you got you got you got to get lucky. <laughs> I mean really, I mean seriously, let's let's I mean nothing against Elon Musk. I love Elon Musk, but would you bet your entire financial security on Elon Musk? The guy is I mean he's pretty erratic. I mean he almost went to prison. I am not a risk taker like that. I'm just not. Okay, also there's another word that we didn't talk about, but I want to mentioned, which is hedging. You have a portfolio and you have a, let's say you have a hunch, you have a certain idea. You take a little bit and you do the exact opposite of what your hunch is. And that's just to say, like, if you're wrong. <laughs> well, that's what Contra does, by the way. It's a contrarian type of fund. But, you know, look, looking at what they're investing in, it's it's pretty much, I guess, you know, it's uh, pretty much like NASDAQ, you know, stuff that I like. I don't do the opposite, and maybe I should do the opposite. It's like that old Seinfeld where George Costanza decides to do opposite of all of his instincts. 
and he becomes extremely successful. Because, you know, if indeed everything you decide to do is wrong, then if you do the opposite, it's probably going to be right. It's like even if you disagree with Bitcoin and you're like, no, it's never going to replace the U.S. dollar. It's in a bubble, blah, blah, blah. Even if you think all that, it wouldn't be the worst thing to hedge a bet and get a little bit of Bitcoin, just in case you're wrong. <laughs> it's whatever your personality is and how much of a risk taker you are. And, 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 how, and how conservative you are, you know, like you're saying with hedging, you know, that could be a very conservative strategy just to protect from your instincts. You know, maybe I should have done that, you know, when it, when it came to, to Tesla. I just says, you know, just let it go, man, let it go. Nobody knows what companies are going to do well. Nobody necessarily knew that Tesla or Apple or Dell was, were going to be rock stars. But there's an argument that if you're diversified and you just have like 1% of them, then that 1% is going to grow to a huger portion. You, If you went back in time, you'd be like, oh, I put it all in Apple. No, you wouldn't. You'd put like 1% in Apple, but that 1% would become a giant part of your portfolio and you'd do really well without having to be reliant on just that one thing. That was also another stock that I sold that I regret. I had a lot of Apple. Okay, so you have mutual funds and bonds and cash. That's a diversified, a conservative diversified portfolio. And real estate. Oh, and real estate. You're only real estate in your home, right? You're not in REITs. I don't have any REITs, but I think your home is is a huge asset. For instance, you could, I, although I don't really believe in them, you know, some people like reverse mortgages. Uh, you know, I, I'll probably never have to use that, but some, you know, for some people it has helped them in their in their retirement ages. What is a reverse mortgage? Again, I am not an expert, so do not take this and don't say and I am not saying you should do this. Nobody have, has ever tuned into this podcast to hear an expert. <laughs> okay, well, that's good to know. You may be getting one with Ethan, but you're not getting it with me. You are not getting one with me. Whoa, whoa, whoa. You're not getting one with me. <laughs> okay. So Ethan just threw his disclaimer out there. That's good. You know what, Ethan, you're actually, you know, living on the edge having this podcast because it's you know this is pretty heavy stuff. We don't do we don't talk about anything this substantial on light talk. You touch on a lot of businessy things every episode. Yeah, but but nothing that's going to ruin your life. I'm not out to you know ruin people's mean? lives. <laughs> no, you're not out to it, but it could. You know, it's like, well, Ethan said I should you know do a reverse mortgage. Go all in Tesla. And then no. own, and own Teslas. You know, it's all anyway. <laughs> reverse mortgages. Uh, it basically you're taking out a loan against your house in a way, and they they're paying you. They're actually paying you a monthly fee, but they're getting a part of your house. So they're slowly buying the house off of you. Yeah, that's the simplest way of, of looking at it. For some people who have no life savings, but they do have their house and they want to do things like go on cruises and they could actually use that. Or, or you could just remortgage your home and just use the cash. Uh <laughs> that's another thing is we had one episode on real estate. We're going to have another and I guarantee we'll have more than that. But there's so many different things, like reverse mortgage. That's never something that I had thought about. But there's so many things you can do that if you own the home, if you have the equity in the home, you can remortgage, you can reverse mortgage, you can sell the place, you could Airbnb the place, you could rent out the place. It's just such a, a crazy topic, but it, it should be part of a portfolio, I think. Right. So you're, you're diversified. Wouldn't if mutual funds, so a mutual fund is just a bunch of different companies. If you just bought one mutual fund and got rid of your cash and got rid of your bonds and just bought a mutual fund, one of them, wouldn't that be diversified automatically? Yeah, it depends on the mutual fund, how diversified it would be. 
There are some terrific mutual funds that are extremely diversified. Their investment strategies are designed around your retirement age. Fidelity has something like called the 2020, the 2030, the 2040, the 2050. If, if when I retire is going to be in 2040, join that fund and that fund will do a whole diversified investment strategy uh, that is relatively safe, you know, because it's it's coming up. Actually, 2030 would be really safe. 2020 already happened. <laughs> so 2030 would be really safe right now. So it'd be very conservative. But if it's like 2060, if you're a young artist and you wanted to start, you'd, you'd say, okay, let's look uh, 30 years in advance and that's going to be 2040 or 2050 or 2020, whatever. You know, that's when I'm going to retire. And you buy that mutual fund and that mutual fund will be automatically diversified and will actually be rebalancing as the years go by. But it's, it makes it real simple, makes it real simple. Yeah, those are those are called target date funds. Yes. And it's an excellent choice because I'm always encouraging people to save and invest. People say, well, I don't know what to invest in. David told you that you can go talk to a company and they will give you free advice. So there's that option. Two, you can look it up for yourself. Three, what I always say, which is just stick it in an S&P 500 index or what you're saying, a target date fund. That's a way to just saying, when am I going to retire? And then just put all your money in there and they're automatically diversifying it into stocks and bonds and cash for you. If you were in a 2020 target date fund right before the pandemic last year, you were probably really good because they probably had that mostly in cash, mostly in bonds. And so it probably did not sink nearly as much as the 2061. Probably not. I don't know. I haven't looked at the history and the performance because I'm, I'm actually not in any of those target date funds. That's not because I don't like them, but, but I believe what you said. I believe in an S&P 500 type of fund. That's all I have now, that and the Contra. And I have some bond funds as well. But yeah, it's it's a pretty conservative uh, thing. And and uh, and you diversif diversifying is very important. If you're looking at funds, look at the cost it's very important that you look at the cost, the management cost of them, because you don't want to get into anything that has a high fee, all right? Because that's, you're losing money when you do that. That's why I like the S&P 500s, because usually the costs are very low. Yeah, and that and that's something, if, if, if you're going to pick a fund, I heard about these target date funds, I'm going to put all my money into this one, because I'm going to retire in 2060. I'm going to put it in the 2060 retirement fund. You can type into your search bar on the internet and say lowest cost target date funds. And that more than likely will pop up an article that says the five or 10 lowest cost target date funds. And then you can compare for yourself. So if you're going to go into something like an S&P 500 ETF, you can look and just say, what are the lowest cost, lowest fees of those? That's right. So there's diversification across asset classes, which right now for you is real estate through your home, cash, bonds, and mutual funds, which is stocks. Commodities, we didn't mention. I'm, I'm not into them. <laughs> That would be like gold or silver or Bitcoin. My brain hits over, you know, it, it reaches a saturation point. Yeah, I was never into gold. I was, I was tempted. I understood it, I guess, and, uh, and all that. But I think the commercials turned me off. <laughs> <laughs> yep, yep, uh, so yep. I'm like, uh, you know, I'm not going to screw around with But that. gold or commodities, even renewable energy, but commodities, those are hedges. So like real estate, the, the idea of diversifying is that real estate is is not going to go to the whims of the stock market. And the same thing with commodities. It's like, well, the stocks might drop, but gold is still valuable. So it's probably going to go up when the stock market drops. That's the idea of diversifying over asset classes. There's more to diversification, which you touched on earlier, diversifying outside of your home country. So we're in the United States. Your mutual funds 
are all in the United States and your bonds. You said you don't do anything in the global stock market or the emerging markets. I used to. I used to have a, a bunch, but uh, I've, I've taken them out over the years. And is that just because of volatility? Yeah, I got very, very conservative. I mean, I got a crazy amount of liquid investments right now. I'm playing it really super safe, especially nowadays. I, you know, this pandemic could turn, not to be a Debbie Downer. It could get worse. You know, the market's going up right now. That's great. I've got 20% in the market. It's, it's terrific. I'm happy with 20. I'm not you know, kicking myself because I don't have 80%. But to me, I'm, I'm not going to chance and risk a total breakdown, <laughs> you know, if something should happen, like a new strain comes up and we're not going to have a recovery. And if that, you know, occurs, I just, um, you know, it's, it's going to be a problem. So, so I, I'd rather not deal with it. If I was young, though, if I was your age, yeah, absolutely. I'd be heavily invested into it because you have time to recover. God forbid something should happen. I don't have that time anymore. All right. So rebalancing, that's part of diversifying. What is rebalancing? And throughout your career, how often have you rebalanced things or have you? Oh, yeah, I, I rebalance. Uh, I always meet with my fidelity person at least once a year and my advisor, and we actually had this plan many years ago. And also when my mom, you know, we taught, you know, my mom was getting getting up there and she had to make some financial decisions after my father passed away, I was doing it for my mother. So I was dealing with my mother's estate as well, which wasn't a lot of money, but we wanted to make sure that she was going to be taken care of. And a lot of the decisions I made had to do with, you know, taking care of mom things changed at that point, you know, but we sort of looked ahead because I had a good advice. He said, okay, you know, this is great. You're set, but what about your parents? Can you take care of your parents when they need you to take care of them? And I said, wow, you're right, you know. And to give them credit, they they, they were pretty good with, with their investments. They were very conservative. And like I said, my dad had his pension. Uh, so they weren't in debt. You know, they had a good, a decent savings amount. But you never know with health issues and things like that, how much that's going to take away from that. So, um, yeah, so I, I started to diversify more when, when that was happening. Uh, so, yeah, sometimes once, sometimes twice, you know, always at least once a year. And we balance it. We rebalance it. But we pretty much stayed on, on track. Uh, now, when, when the market started to crash last year, of course, you know, this guy was saying, hang on, hang on, it's going to be okay, you know? And I was like, wait a second. Don't, don't sell out of Tesla. Uh, don't sell, yeah, but that was too late. <laughs> he called, he said, what the hell did you do? <laughs> you sold Tesla at 310? <laughs> You're going to regret this in a year. I'm telling you that right now. And of course, he was right. So anyway. All right. So I think we've done a good explanation of diversification, how you diversify in, a, in your retirement accounts and your planning. So last question about diversification. How important is it? Do we need to diversify or is this something I don't really need to worry about? No, no. You need to diversify from the very beginning. It just depends on how much you want to diversify, you know, because you're a young man. You have time to recover. I would take much more risk. I would invest in, in individual stocks unless you had fun money. If you're really into investing and, uh, and you want to have some fun, <laughs> you like to live on the edge and have pain and pleasure, if there's a company you believe in, then invest in that company. You know, support that company. You like their product. You like, you know, maybe it's their environmental policy. You know, I mean, that's one of the reasons why I invested in Tesla, because I believe in uh, alternative fuels. 
and uh, and I wanted to see an American company, and this Tesla is an American company. I wanted to see that company succeed in a very very competitive world of electric cars, and I believed in it. I believed in the company, and then I realized how crazy their their, <laughs> their, their CEO was, and I said, oh, maybe I shouldn't have so much money invested in them. But again, that was impulsive, and that was a mistake. Uh, but yeah, it believe in the company. There was another. Co- I believed in Dell. I did believe in Dell because again, when they came out. You had Apple, you had uh, Compaq, you had um, IBM, and then Dell was really the first real computer you could actually uh, specify. You could actually go ahead and uh, design the way you wanted to design it. And I liked that idea. Plus, that too was an American company. It was in Austin, Texas, and I believed in it. If you find a product, a company that has a product you believe in, absolutely, have some fun. Don't panic. Don't panic. That does it for diversification. What financial advice would you give to yourself back when you started your career? I saved money. I always believed in saving money. And I got into the market early. My very first lighting job, (laughs) you know, was at the Miami Opera. And I was a staff member there. And I started to invest. Because my brother was really into the market. And he was, you know, he he basically uh, taught me how to do it. I continued investing through the years. And, you know, when I worked for Disney, I I put money aside and I always invested. Always, always, you know, even if it's like $10 a week, you know, it doesn't matter. Get into the habit. That $10 a week will grow to a lot of money in like 30 years. And just throw it into an account. Just say, okay, $10 is going into or $50, whatever you can afford. Throw it into a mutual fund. And I did. That's what I did. And that's why I've been financially independent for so many years. And and why I've been able to continue my job in, uh, you know, as a lighting designer. Because even when I worked full time as a lighting designer and I was designing like 15 shows a year, it was still not a lot of money. You know, that doesn't pay that much. Not until you reach a point in your career, like fortunately I've reached now, where I get decent fees. For most people, it is not a high-paying, high-paying thing. And also, I, I was wise enough to uh, fall in love with teaching. Being part of a university, you have a steady paycheck and you have a, some sort of retirement plan. You know that that helps as, as well. The other thing is, I jokingly say this: there's so much pleasure in having children, but I didn't have any children. <laughs> And children are very expensive. <laughs> so, yes, I've missed out. I've missed out on the pleasures of being a father. But I get enough of it with my niece and nephew. And uh, who, who can you adopt? Because you have that pension that you can give to a kid, right? Too late. Oh, you missed I, it. I actually oh. thinking about doing it. But I was a single, you know, I, I, did, I wasn't married at the time. There, there was no way I could do it as a single man. And then, uh, yeah, it would have been great. It would have been great. But what can you do? That's the way life is. Yeah, exactly. You sold Tesla. You didn't adopt someone. It's fine. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. Is there a book or a resource that has helped you with finances at all? You know, I saw that in that list. And yes, there was a book that I read a long, long time ago when I first started this. And it was called How to Pay Zero Taxes. And it had a lot of good advice for People like me, who was an independent contractor at the time, let's let's be clear, I do not pay zero taxes. I pay a lot of money in taxes. However, this book told me I could be accidentally paying more in taxes by not taking advantage of the tax laws and understanding what you can legally deduct. 
from your taxes. It's amazing how few artists understand, you know, deductions and, you know, as what you can take as independent contractor. You know, it's crazy. Uh, For the past year, I've been talking on our show about um, the PPP program, the Paycheck Protection Program, which is basically free money for independent contractors. It's, It's a loan. It's set out as a loan, but it's a forgivable loan. I know nobody who has not had that loan forgiven uh, because if you just follow the rules, it could help you out. It's like it's money that will help people who will, you know, who really need it. They lost all their jobs and they don't have teaching jobs to fall back on. And I think the PPP is a wonderful program for our colleagues. So that's why I talk about it all the time and say, oh, there's a deadline coming up, so make sure you get it in before then. It's not, I'm not working for any banks or anything like that. I'm doing this as a public service. So, yeah, I highly recommend you, you know, looking at disaster loans, you know, economic disaster loans through the Small Business Administration. You got to take advantage of everything that's out there, you know, just for your own survival. I, okay, so I think you just answered this question. What what can we do to stress the importance of finance and savings to our fellow artists? At the beginning of this conversation, I talked a lot about the Depression and my, what my dad went through. It changed his life. It really did. It, it, I think my dad was a lot more reckless and a lot more impulsive before this giant thing happened in his life. COVID has done the same thing for this generation, especially for our colleagues who've lost all their gigs. And I think all of a sudden it's a wake-up call. I know my students are much more aware how insecure things can get. I, I teach at a university that the demographic of the university is usually middle to lower income uh, families, uh, students. Some of our students, many of our students, work full-time jobs and go to the university. And there's some of them are supporting their parents. Uh, it's, it's really tough. They're in real tough financial straits. And when they see a worldwide pandemic completely changing the world and questioning their future. You got to pivot. You got to figure out a way that you're going to survive. In the 80s, we went through a uh, recession, a, a severe recession. I lost all my gigs, very similar to what just happened last year. All my gigs were canceled. I had to make money. So I got a real estate license and I sold real estate for like a year just to survive. People are realizing now just through the pandemic how important it is to save and to have some sort of a financial cushion just in case, you know, these horrible things happen. And they will continue to happen. You know, who knows what will be tomorrow or 10 years from now. But you just want to be prepared. Second to last question. What separates those that have a full-time career in the arts from those that transition out or never give it a try? I think it's a lot of it has to do with passion. We talk about this on our show a lot. Uh, we talk, it's, it's, it has to do with passion and uh, finding what makes you happy. If theater, painting or whatever, or, or composing makes you happy, uh, that's what you should do. And that's what you're going to do. And that's, I think, what separates the people who are survivors and the people who just just give it up. And there's nothing wrong with that. And and people's passions change. I mean, people discover new things. Uh, people fall out of love with things. And that's okay. That doesn't make you less of a human being. It makes it makes you a, a growing human, an evolving human being. You know, someone who can, you know, adapt. I think that's good. It's funny, we're having Bob Abanyol um, on our show this week. He's pivoted amazingly. I mean, it's amazing what he's doing right now. And it was all because of the pandemic. People, you know, should be facile 
and be able to do stuff like that. You know, being a lighting designer, you know, it's sort of like being an actor. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a highly competitive industry. I think that's, that's the difference. I like that too, because I, I heard recently somebody put it, they said like, oh, you're in your 20s. Okay, you can do that in your 20s. But then, hey, your 30s. You could do something completely different in your 30s. And that's, that's 10 years. Absolutely. And then you get to your 40s. You could do something completely different for ten years, like. And uh, I, it's I think that's a, a really good way to live life. If you hey, look, we're only on this earth for a limited number of years. You know what I mean? So you need to enjoy yourself, and that's you know one of the reasons why I bought that silly car. I mean, yeah, that was a big chunk out of my savings, absolutely. But I'm saying, look, you got to enjoy yourself. You got to do something. I like fast cars. I put my dog in the back and I drive up the coast of California all the way up to Washington. I can't tell you how joyous that, that was. So I, I think you just need to find what your bliss is. You've got to find what your bliss is and you've got to just revel in it and, uh, and enjoy it and, uh, and grow in it. All right, last, last question. Where can people find out more about you? Uh, I got a website. It's called davidmartinjacques.com. And you spell my name, my last name, J-A-C-Q-U-E-S. So you can find out a lot about my shows, what's coming up. Or you can listen to Light Talk. <laughs> yeah, that's the second best podcast in the world after Artistic Finance. It's the second best podcast in the world. Oh, congratulations. I saw that what, you had like 11,000 downloads or something like yeah, that. Yeah, I'm at 11,000. That's fantastic. That's fantastic. I, I think that's a, a beautiful thing, Ethan, what you're doing. I think this is a great service because we're not great financial people, like I said in the beginning. It's, it's, we, need, we need help. And I think the more people you bring on and the more different uh, divergent and uh, diverse <laughs> views you hear, the more you're going to learn about your own self and discover your own um, investment strategies. All right. Well, David, thank you so much for uh, spending time with us today. It's my pleasure. That was our episode on diversification. My takeaways were, diversification is key to reducing risk in your portfolio. How you diversify is up to your risk tolerance and personality. It's important to save steadily. Whether you're making a lot or not, start early and keep adding to your investments. Don't own individual stocks if you can't handle the volatility, and don't be afraid to invest in a company if you believe in them long term. In our patron-only episode, we discuss more Tesla, learn a bit more about David, and talk about the directors that David has worked with. To access that, go to patreon.com artisticfinance. Patrons at all levels get early access to episodes, the extended interviews, and a private podcast feed. Patrons are also my favorite people in the whole wide world, so thank you in advance for supporting me and the show. Thank you to everybody who tuned in for our live episode, the Artistic Finance 6K. I'm looking forward to providing quarterly updates, and I'm also looking forward to the individual episodes where we dive deep into each specific asset class. In a year's time, we'll see how well diversified our Artistic Finance portfolio is, and we'll see if one thing hedged against anything else. If you're going to miss these episodes coming every week, I understand. You can always help me get to 50 patrons by becoming one or encouraging other people to do so. If you have any ideas for finding sponsors or monetizing the podcast in a way that I could return to weekly releases, please let me know. While the content is valuable and I want more of it out in the world, each episode takes a lot to put together, 
especially when I do the bilingual episodes that are double the work. That's all I have for today. Thank you for listening, and I'll see you in two weeks. Thank you for listening to Artistic Finance. Make sure to subscribe. To access our show notes, transcripts, or resources, go to artisticfinance.com. This show is for entertainment purposes only. Before making any decision, consult a professional. This show is copyrighted by Artistic Finance. Written permission must be granted before syndication or rebroadcasting.